All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we are talking with, hope I do this right, Ryan Groover. Yes, sir, you got it right. All right. And you are IT Director at Banner Health. Maybe just real quick, give me an idea of what that looks like on a daily basis. Are we dealing with like, you know, uh, mobile wireless units and all kinds of insanity over there? How, How big is Banner Health? Okay, so to give you the quick rundown, Banner Health is a 60,000-person organization, approximately, <laughs> over three, 300 locations. Um, I, I administer the data centers. So I have nine data centers and 1,100 IDFs and MDFs under my purview. So about a quarter million square foot of IT real estate. That, that's my insanity, is managing the physical that enables everything else to happen. That's exciting. I mean, it's, it's, it's not quite the, I love my job. It's not yeah. as big as the Facebook data center spaces, which I've seen are, are probably insane, but it might be getting up there. You know, I, I've actually, funny <laughs> enough, I have toured a Facebook data center. I know what it's like. The, the big difference in managing an enterprise data center is I don't have that level of redundancy on all of the core services above me. So I have to keep this site running online where, you know, Facebook, hey, if that data center goes offline, you, you shift to the next data center over and they mm. keep running. Oh, so I don't have that luxury. So there we go. Topic number one. So how do we how do we how do we keep uh, uh, I don't know how do we deal with disaster avoidance and uh, redundancy when you have well you're in one data center. Do you have multiple data centers or any kind of geo redundancy or anything like that? We have nine data centers, and we do have basically kind of HA pairs of data centers. You know, we have like basically a primary and secondary for applications. We've got primary and secondary for regional access. And I got a couple of legacy sites that I'm actively working on shutting down right now. But um, mm. to your question, it's really all about, in my world, about building resilient infrastructure. So um, I, I've been doing this for about 15 years now. Got a lot of experience in building proper infrastructure. I'm you know, I'm a certified data center designer through Bixie, mm. and it's building that fault tolerant design. Um, my flagship is an F4 design, so that is the mm. that is the highest level of classification in Bixie. Meaning, I can base I can basically work on anything, no one notices, and uh, my uptime record currently is 16 years, 11 months. Yeah, nice. So we're doing it right. That the. Uh- that's really cool. It should be like a sign in there. It's like that. No accidents for 365 days. No outages. Yes, sir. For, just like that for 16. Think of what's happened in 16 years. I mean, uh, absolutely. So, so let me let me get this straight. You were there. Is this right? 16 years ago. Mm, well, so, there was two years. So, with, there was two years without you. That was things were up. <laughs> That, that's correct. Yeah, the, the last <laughs> the last major outage was 05, and that was under the first director of my team. I my the second director had no issues, and I am currently the third director in the history of Banner running the data centers. So with the, all the accountability of running said data centers. So, yeah, let's go back in time a little bit, though. You know, 14 years ago, what what did your? I mean, you're you've you've literally grown up at one company and mm-hmm. seen massive scalable change. Absolutely. Uh, 14 years ago, I, 14 years ago, I was just a pup. Um, I was, I was the pup kid coming in and, you know, just trying to disrupt <laughs> everything. Um, I, 
recently left uh, my first IT job, which I was at Corbin's Electric. I was a I, kind of, I was the guy with all the hats because really I was the one guy they had on board it to do IT things. So everything from desktop management to running out in the field and selling wireless cards at construction sites. A mm. fun job, you know, doing construction IT, but it, I knew it wasn't for me. So mm. um, I got an introduction, came into Banner Health, uh, started off as a junior operator. So in a, in a data center, you have a thing called the NOC or the Network Operations Center. And that is, those are the people, you know, for those you know, obviously, who, who run data centers or we're have talking data with services? I, I really think only nerds and IT people listen to this show, yeah. but it's good. To, we right. could tell. I mean, we could tell people what a knock is. I guess it's good for the sake of the end users. It's good as a best practice for us to not speak in um, acronyms and things like that, so that we can learn to um, sell to executive management and speak to other people and not and not gloss them over. Absolutely. And funny enough, you know, I tour a lot of IT professionals around my data center and they still have no clue what a data center is when I bring them in. So that's why I uh, <laughs> always like to elaborate a little bit on what I do because, you know, data centers in tradition have been a black box. But back to what I was doing. Um, so I was, you know, you know, the Knox that 24-7, 365 shifts. So I worked by shifts monitoring our, you know, electronic health records, uh, applications, monitoring the health of the, of the mainframe. Yeah, I worked on Z-Series. Um, I remember the old commands like D space A, uh, comma L to look at all the active running processes and looking at, you know, the, the, the status of my 3494 tape library. It's so mm, fun times. Mm. Um, and at the time, Banner was um, looking at building its new primary data center. So I expressed interest to the director at the time saying, hey, you know, I want to be involved in the project and I want to, you know, start my journey up the ladder beyond the knock because. Um, you know, those who know the knock is, it's very, ne it's a very necessary job, but it is very, you know, it's very routine and mm. I needed something more interesting to do. Mm. So luckily enough, a position to open up. I got hired on as a junior engineer, uh, starting to actually do some designs in this data center. So it, even till today, to today, um, uh, my cabling design on doing server racking, mm -hmm. uh, my burden room design, I, there are still aspects around here that are, are truly mine. That I'm very proud that I, when I walk around and take a look, it's like, I did that. And it was awesome that I got to do this. I want to just pause for a second because one of the themes that comes up on the show a lot and one that um, I want to put as possibly maybe the final chapter in a, in a book here um, that is a mm -hmm. team effort is what to say in a job interview to ensure you're in the right place. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that, but I think the key piece is that you didn't want to be... A, a lot of the people that we have on the show are, you know, like your old older position IT manager at at Corbin's Electric, where you're wearing multiple hats. You're you're dealing with the um, ticketing system. You're dealing with, um, you know, uh, uh, network upgrades, infrastructure upgrades, um, trying to drive a, a digital transformation, plus training end users at the same time, plus making the company more efficient and dealing with a cardboard box full of cell phones that people throw at you. So there's, there's that aspect, but then you moved to, you, you knew you wanted something different. So you did something to get a different job. And then when you were in that job, you were in the knock, which became routine for you, which wasn't enough. And you knew enough to speak up and say, Hey, I wanted to be involved in this project. And it might sound simple and ridiculous and stupid to say, hey, speak up and tell people what you want. But is it that simple? 
You know, in, in my opinion, it is, it's almost that simple. You know, what I, as when I tell, you know, I, I actually just onboarded a few new employees and, you know, I, and I told them from the outset, you know, you're going to first start off in the junior engineer role. You're going to master that. And then when you are thirsty and you're ready for that next challenge, we're going to take a look at that next level position. I'm going to start giving you the assignments to achieve that next level position. Mm. You hit it. I'll give you the promotion. Mm. That's simple. And I, and I have done that with one of my senior engineers. Um, and you know, and he is just, he is blossomed. He is phenomenal. And that's mm. essentially what I did with my leadership and said, Hey, you know, um, I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep improving. Cause you know, I, I, even at this point, I'm not at my final state of my career. Mm. Um, this is the next step and I want to keep moving up. And my, my new leadership knows that. So, and, uh, I'm just, I, I'm always thirsty for the next challenge and yes, be very transparent to your leadership about that. Always tell them, Hey, you know, I want to be on the stretch assignment. I want to do this thing. And you know, they'll probably go, okay, let's, let's have you do it. You know? And all my data center guys, all my data center guys have this like love of life and uh, energy to them. It's like the opposite of like, of like the CISO role. I just think there's something there to be said. You know, I, I will <laughs> no. actually agree with you. I, I will agree with you. Um, I, I know a lot of good data center experts through my AFCOM work and you know, going, uh-huh. through, going to data center world and stuff like that. Yeah. And it is, it is quite amazing to see the, the energy that really passionate data center people have. We, we know that we are the core of the digital society and we make a really big difference every day. I mean, in my role, if my data centers were up and running, it impacts patient care. That I, I, I take that so seriously. I always tell my guys, I don't run data centers. I enable patient care because that's truly what I do at the end of the day. Maybe it's just such a cool environment too. I don't know. I just, um, it's, it's the, the data center world is, um, it's something that I'm not, I'm not always uh, directly like walking around and like, Hey, we're N plus one and we're this, and here's our diesel routes and all that type of stuff. Um, but it's, if I was a, if I was to start all over again, just from talking with you and all my data center guys, you're just making it sound so wonderful and exciting. So maybe there shouldn't be this big flock to, um, you know, security stuff. Maybe we should be, you know, flocking somewhere else. I, I mean, and, and I, I agree. That's part of my, my passion with my nonprofit work via the AFCOM Phoenix chapter is I'm trying to get out there into the high schools, into the colleges, I mean, shoot, we're actually starting an internship program to pay to help bring students into the data center industry. Mm. Um, we we need good infrastructure personnel at the end of the day. You know, you can have DevOps, you can have cybersecurity, robots. Mm-hmm. All those things are awesome. I mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I mm-hmm. love them all. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you need dedicated people at the core of the infrastructure maintaining this. And yeah, I, I will say walking around, seeing my, my gen sets, my big UPSs and all my, my cooling, you know, <laughs> it, it's not traditional IT, but it's cool stuff. I must say. <laughs> the, so, uh, so selfishly speaking, my son's always asked me where to get in. I'm like, Oh, just start taking these courses, you know, take a networking course, take this, take that. Um, but what would your advice be to, um, someone that might want to do a different traditional, different than the typical traditional route of education and maybe want to go more your route? Would you still say, Hey, go to college and take this? Or would you say, uh, no, go do this instead. So uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes and no to that. So I'm going to say, if you go to college, 
you're probably going to be aiming for into more of the upper, you know, the upper engineering architect ranks or the leadership ranks. And that's, you know, a reason I actually went back to my master's degree in 2015 is because, you know, my, my trajectory for myself isn't to be the higher leadership ranks, but not to say you can't get there using, you know, going out of high school, right into a, like I say, a knock situation. Um, just, you know, as I tell them, just be aware, you're going to have to probably put your dues in a little bit more, but, you know, again, if you show that drive, you'll still work up the ladder. Um, and I, I'd say for any students that's interested in data center stuff, um, like the Schneider, Schneider Electric has their energy university and they offer what they call their data center certified associate certification, very base level, very entry, but Hey, you know, you, then you come to the interview, you can still talk intelligently to UPSs and crack units and all that fun stuff. Mm. But, you know, Hey, he put some energy into it. I'm going to hire him. You know, <laughs> um, that's uh, seriously, I, I look out for a little things like that. It's just, Hey, he's got a little bit of a spark. Let me grow it. Okay. Now let's play the opposite. Since you're saying you wanted to, since you went back and uh, got your what MBA, MBA. Uh, so I have my master's of science and in information management from the uh, WP Carey school at ASU. Okay. So the, the, the next role, I mean, what level of business speak do you have financial terms, understanding of the business as well? Because, uh, again, one of the kind of biggest themes here is kind of bridging that gap between the, the technology world and the business world, because nothing in business runs without technology. Nothing in business anymore gets done, you know, better or worse with or mm -hmm. without technology, so to speak. Uh, but typically the people at the top, unless, you know, um, you know, unless you're a, you, you built a technology company from the ground up, typically, you know, when I'm thinking manufacturing, healthcare, other businesses and stuff, typically the people at the top, the business leaders don't necessarily have all of that technical speak, but I think there's this change coming where, um, the technical leaders will have to understand and know the financial terms and understanding of the business and how to drive it forward. Absolutely. That's a part of, you know, being into, you know, my, my prior leadership role was the IT ops director, which is very much a technical director. Um, but, you know, I had great leadership that was helping mentor me into the business speak, being able to spot, speak intelligently to the executive leadership, write those summaries that make sense at that level. Because at, at the end of the day, I can geek out all day about all the technology and the data center and how it all runs. But to speak to them, it's got to be that one pager bullet point to the point to help them make, you know, the decision at the end of the day. So I, so as I have, uh, you know, progressed in my career, I've been watching that level and absorbing all that. So I can speak intelligently to the executive level and not bog them down in technical terms because I hate that. Yeah. So what would be some of the key, what would be some of the key points or, or maybe, I don't know, tips or, or anything like that for, I guess, translation into business speak that you can think of. Even if you've got an example, that's good as well. But any advice there? Because uh, a lot of times people, there's just this divide and there's no there's no bridge to it. You know what I mean? And a lot of times yes, that, could sir, be the, I, that could be the difference between, you know, making that jump that you want to get. As, as dumb as we said earlier, like, you know, just, you know, hey, just asking. But in this, but when you get into the kind of the, I don't know, higher roles, you need to be able to say, here's how our technology is helping run the business. And here's specific bullet points and language points that you're used to hearing. 
Yep. I'd say the biggest thing, um, I don't really talk a whole lot about the technology itself. I talk about the service I provide and how it enables the business to do its role. So, you know, again, as I say at the end of the day, it's not, for me, it's not about running the data centers and running all the technology in the data centers. It's Mm -hmm. about enabling that patient care. So saying that, hey, you know, the services that you run, the doctor, the nurse needs, they come out of here. I enable that service to happen and, and saying, you know, simple things like that. Don't, don't take it to the app layer. Don't take it to the, the infrastructure layer. Keep it at the service layer. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and also yes, money, as you, as you mentioned earlier, it's all about the OPEX, the CAPEX and being able to, you know, chart that out in a way that they understand with, you know, the proper line graphs, bar graphs, mm. um, breaking down the costs. Yeah. That's extremely important because they, at, at the end of the day, that level is kind of want to know, how much am I getting uh, or how much am I going to pay for this investment? And then, of course, if you have hard ROI or soft ROI, being able to explain that properly. So, uh, again, it's uh, to me, it's all if, I, if I'm talking about my services in the data center, I keep it to that high level about how I enable the rest of the business to run. Just curious, as a technology leader, when you yes, sir. in healthcare, when you go to the doctor or hospital, do you notice certain things? <laughs> it, 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 actually, so funny enough, um, my, my wife and I just welcomed yep. a brand new son here 10 weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. So thank you. So when she was in the hospital, oh yeah. I mean, I was, it, it's, it's rare that I actually see if I go to one of our hospitals or our ambulatory, uh, uh places. I'm going into the closet, looking at the closet. Mm -hmm. This was like the first time actually sitting in a patient room Mm -hmm. and watching how like the biomedical device works and how the, Mm -hmm. the the PC works there. And Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I, I, I I made a lot of observations that helped educate me on what's actually happening. So, well, healthcare is interesting is sometimes you'll go into a hospital and you'll be like, what is this archaic system here? And then what is this system that's like fully up to date? And then you're obviously, I mean, obviously in front of the data center, you you guys are grabbing a lot of um, a lot of data. But it's it's just interesting to see technology can be such a, a hindrance or a, or a helper, uh, in, especially in the healthcare world. And I think it can. It could even, I mean, it it could be it can be problematic in numerous ways that I, I think would be opening up a can of worms, worms if we if we even went there. But um, yeah, every time I'm in the hospital, I'm like, oh, it's either an old phone system, but the this is up to date, or this isn't, you know, this is insecure. There's a login left open, you know, just different things like that. I'm just wondering if you have the same mm-hmm. experience I have when you go in, but um, the. As as in your current role, how mm-hmm. how big is your team? A team of like people my, that report to you. My team of people report to me. So I have a team of okay, approximately thirty right now. With my with my promotion recently, I did gain some additional services. So I've got okay. the well the, the knock as we mentioned. So they report to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a got a small crew there. I've got a crew of dedicated data center engineers. So people with knowledge similar to mine that do the rack stack, do the patch cabling, mm-hmm. all those fun things that are actually in the data center environment daily. Mm-hmm. I now run the IT infrastructure cabling team. So uh, so I now have accountability of basically from the wall jack 
to the to the switch in the walls. Mm. That's that's fun. So the so your the Bixie the RCDDs. So those uh those cabling designers. So that's that's been a recent addition. And actually, I think that was a, that was a great idea merging me with them because I cover the power cooling side of the house, the rack layouts. They cover a lot of that cabling, the really good designs. So I've got that team, and then I have one gentleman that runs a monitoring tool. So that is my full team layout now. The so it's big. The I guess my my question there is, what have you learned about coaching a team and setting expectations over the years? It sounds like I mean, just from talking with you, just from the energy level and the excitement alone, I, I I can tell you love your job. I can tell you love coming into work every day, and that that must mean that people love working for you as well. Was there ever a time that it wasn't like that, and you remember some struggles of building a team? And is there any insight that you can provide there to other people listening on how to coach a team? Oh, absolutely. So my first year, my first few years of leadership. So say the 2014 to about 2016 years that, I mean, I I was brand new into being a leader coming out of being just a technology guy, just, you know, you know, doing designs, outputting, you know, doing the rack stack, all that. So I managed the knock was my first assignment was doing, was the the knock management. And I, I had to learn to find my own kind of leadership style. So, you know, the, I grew up, my, my dad is a high power leader with an electrical uh, organization here in town. And, you know, he's kind of that really old school leader. And I, and I think him and my prior boss, again, kind of that boomer, you know, it's, it's my way or the highway, you know, there's no mm. question. Mm-hmm. And as a millennial leader, that first off, it didn't always resonate with me, mm-hmm. you know, Millennials, we like to have that kind of more instant feedback, uh-huh. and you know, it's not about it's not about the once a year review. Um, so I, I think I emulated that a little too much, <laughs> and it, it was off putting to my staff. So uh-huh. I had to learn to kind of back that down um, and be more empathetic, be more uh, really work on my emotional intelligence. Because you know, as a technical person, I, I work with a lot of great technical people. The emotional intelligence isn't always there. I mean, that's. I think that's just the thing in our industry. So I really had to step up that, you know, mm. and, and I kind of grew organically with that. I, I didn't go to classes or anything, you know, to, to learn that. It's just more self-reflection going, Hey, you know, I, I need to change how I'm doing it. So mm. I, I would definitely say for new leaders, uh, especially technical leaders, make sure you're not putting all your eggs into that technical basket and running it that way and being a, being a bit of a jerk, you know, really <laughs> listen to the people and remember, remember at the end of the day, they're people. Yeah. So, and, and, and it, it's paid off. And, you know, for, I went from those rough years to last year, I was a top 10 leader at Banner and I'm one of like 15 in IT. So mm, mm. Of, uh, like in the entire organization. So I've, that I, is my huge. leadership support has been phenomenal mm. for the last few years. So I've really, I, I really turned it around. You've got to remember at, for me, at the end of the day, they don't serve me. I serve them. Mm, Truly. Yeah. Some of those, some of the best books that helped me were a one, um, emotional intelligence is a book. You can go buy it. Um, it is a great book. Um, first break all the rules was great for a millennial also like me. Mm -hmm. Um, being able to sit back and, and really like connect, discover, respond with your, with your, um, 
or your team, I guess we don't say employees, but um, with your team. But yes, it can be a it can be a painful road of learning by mistakes. <laughs> you know, you can, uh, yes. you can, you can, um, it's, it's, it, it's, it, and, and when you're not in the leadership role, it's always easy to look up and be like, oh my gosh, I could do that better. And then when you're there, you're like, oh my Lord, now I know. Um, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so congratulations on your success there uh, and going through the painful, going through the, uh, the painful years. Um, but yeah, just, uh, for anyone out there listening, yeah. Emotional intelligence, good one. First break, all the rules was given to me by the VP of Starbucks years ago. That helped me a lot. Um, but yeah, any books that any uh, favorite books of yours that have been very helpful in that in the leadership space? You know, honestly, no. I I, I my my <laughs> preferred way is going and just talking to other leaders. Uh-huh. That it, it, you know, in and that's that was another thing. You know, another hard lesson learned is you, you know you enter this industry and you think it's all about the technology and hey, I know how to administer mm-hmm. AD DNS exchange, and you go down the alphabet of things. Mm-hmm. You know that's only half of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the building of the relationships, um, doing the networking, uh, that has become more important than I ever imagined. I mean, bright eyed, bushy tailed out of university, I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, I said I did read some leadership stuff. You know, with my. Uh, my master's degree program, a lot of it was, you know, it was good stuff, but I'd rather talk to people and learn. Yeah. So throw the books away, like whatever. That's fine. I mean, me, I'm an audio guy. I might say I read books, but it's really, I listen to the audio, but the, and then listening to people and getting feedback from people, um, any particular questions or or ways that you've approached uh, mentors or people that, that would be helpful? So what I generally, I mean, I, I always like to do is you just, you know, ask, you know, Hey, what does I ask them, frankly, what could I be doing better? What, what do you see in me that I need to work on? And they'll say, okay, Ryan, go do work on these things. And you know, that becomes my focus for the next quarter or the next years. So I, I work on that work. on building that up. I just, I, I'm a very frank person. I just say, I speak my mind a whole lot. So yeah. that's what I just ask them. It's like, Hey, what, what do you see in me? What, what, where are the blunt points? And they say, Ryan, this is blunt. Go work on it. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think part of that is an ability to be open and be coachable, right? And an ability yes. to, um, you know, realize that, um, like, we're really underutilized, undertapped human beings. So there, there's always endless room for growth. So being open and coachable and, and not stubborn from that standpoint. And, you know, I guess, humble to a certain degree can help a lot. Absolutely. You just, you know, to me, it's always, there's always room to improve. There's always, it's that, you know, kind of that continuous improvement cycle. I always focus on how, how can I improve myself? Um, Because then, you know, I can elevate myself. I can be better for my team. I'll, you know, provide better services. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's me, you know? The, if you had one question to ask, um, when dealing, I guess, from a political standpoint inside a large organization, um, what's the single biggest frustration, problem, or concern, I guess, that you deal with in when trying to influence executive management? I think the the biggest pain point I would say I have is is 
I think as a new, as a leader now that has responsibility of, you know, capital dollars is making sure that, you know, I can help influence to get the capital dollars where I need to do, you know, where I need the most improvements. Um, to your point earlier about antiquated stuff, I, you know, that's part of my job and it's kind of influencing the decisions to make sure that we deal with those as, you know, quickly as we can. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't get a billion dollars to change the world tomorrow, but hey, I can at least get a little bit here and there, prioritize and and and, and work on it. So, um, it, and that's and that's hard. Also, and this is being a nonprofit healthcare organization. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get a whole lot to do things like that. So it's that's you know, in my newest role here, that's been like some of the hardest decisions. Like, what do we, where do we uh, allocate the funding to? You know, do you know, like, have you ever sat down with? I don't know. I don't know what your CFO version is over there or, or the person that's responsible for writing the check, or is it a board of decisions? Like when you guys go around to making these decisions for capital expenditures, how does that, how does that work? One. And I guess two would be, is there, is there some sort of financial speak that you might be missing that you don't know about? And it's kind of dumb. It's like asking you, like, what do you not know? You know what I mean? But is there is there something that would be, like, if we were, you know, what, what would it be? Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely uh, things around here are generally more the committee based on, hey, you know, I, I, I'm one sliver of a giant organization. So uh-huh. um, those those big decisions aren't made in a vacuum. There's There are people, there are, probably smarter than me that make those decisions at the end of the day. Mm. I, I think the, the, uh, it's, it's more to me knowing what's, Hey, what's out there? What, what am I not? What, what do I not have purview into? That's the, mm. there are still a lot of, you know, very silos, which sometimes make it harder than to say, Hey, you know, what am I, am I trying to justify this against something that's way more important? Um, mm. you don't find out till later on that, Hey, okay, we needed to, you know, hey, we needed a new surgery seat to suite at a hospital. It's like, oh yeah, that's going to take priority. You know, over me needing, uh, you know, mm. some new cabling somewhere. Mm. Oh, so that's very. That's actually very. That's very um, eye-opening. So, mm-hmm. how do we? I guess the question would be is, you know, how do we stay more aware of all these various different um, competing. Uh, projects that are all asking for money at the same time, especially when in, within an organization like that. And then, how can you um, further shivy yours up the up the line of acceptance based on? Well, mine's going to provide more this, and mine's going to you know bring more revenue in, and, and mine's going to save on labor, and mine's going to do this. I mean, do you have a way of providing those type of f- figures in the in the work that you're doing? So I'd say. Um finding out it's definitely for me, it's about networking and networking with the right people in the organization mm. and you know, knowing who the movers and shakers are. So that's kind of how I, I really started keeping in the loop on some of the larger projects, you know, you know, like for, we're always building stuff around here. So I, I kind of need to keep in the loop, you know, Hey, you're building new edge sites for me that I'm going to have to manage at the end of the day. I better try to know what's going on. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the first part, but the, the second part, you know, in, in my world of, you know, electrical, mechanical, data centers, data center services, it, it really comes down to risk management at, at the end of the day. And, you know, 
it, do you know, do I and also do I want to even do I want to justify that? Hey, this is a higher risk than maybe say, hey, that new nerf, that new surgery suite is needed. Um, you know, I, I kind of have to look at that going, you know, I, I can kind of look at it and go, you know, what? that's probably more important. And I, I'm OK stepping back this year to allow mm. that to happen. But mm. um, it, it's more about quantifying that risk that, hey, if, you know, we didn't you know put like the right power in somewhere and we're at risk of you know nuking a bunch of our servers or switches or something like that then yeah that's probably going to take priority um because you know you you knock off all that then shoot the system goes offline Mm. yeah and then you need to be able to explain that to them in a way that makes sense like we will be underwater (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You know, at, at the end of the day, is is it going to impact patient care? That's that's what I always have to look at in this role is, you know, mm-hmm. if I didn't do this thing and, you know, and I didn't speak up, will it impact patient care? Mm. The, the last tale of this piece. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of like voicing your decisions on the on the roadmap and 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 you know, kind of uh, direction di- direction decision decision direction around the roadmap and 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 that piece. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's another aspect of this as well, which is, I'm assuming you must have to deal with some kind of vendors and vendor negotiation at times. Oh yes, I I have been doing that for years now. So absolutely. How many people, just out of curiosity, how many people do you have calling you on a weekly basis trying to sell you something? <laughs> oh, my. Um, <laughs> it could be anywhere between like 10 and 30. It's, it's ridiculous how many calls I get. <laughs> and, well, I mean, it's important because there's, there's vendor speak and vendor negotiation. And how do you filter... How do you filter like real knowledge versus, you know, Frost and Sullivan knowledge? Mm, that is a good question. Um, so I, I must say, well, first off, a lot of the vendors that contact me are even really relevant into my particular space. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of an easy to filter out. But um, mm-hmm. it's when I like, for example, I, I've actually got a, a kind of a large project I'm trying to kick off where I want to, you know, I, I need a little assistance, you know, managing the extra spaces and doing some evaluations mm-hmm. it is when I, I, I write very good. I really write very good, very detailed RFPs and RFIs. Mm-hmm. So to me, how they kind of respond back is will help determine, um, you know, I, I kind of gauge that level of intelligence and the level of experience. In addition to doing the, the calls with them, doing the calls with the customers, um, to help kind of gauge that. But, um, mm. I, I mean, luckily I, I am, I, I do feel pretty lucky. I have a, a great level of knowledge when it comes to data center stuff. So I, I can speak intelligently to them. They can speak intelligently to me. And then, you know, I, it's fairly easy for me to gauge, but that's because I have 15 years experience doing this. Um, so that's, mm. that's, that's pretty much how I do it is, Join via those method, methods is you know the, the more the formal the formal work and then then I work with them afterwards. The the RFP. Do you ever worry that the RFP might uh, eliminate people that you should have talked to that you didn't, or does or you know everyone out there because the data center space can get kind of small. So it's not not small, but when you get to the top, it it definitely gets smaller and kind of funnels in. So from my prior experiences, I've done a few of these, and I, I'd say no. I 
I've had a lot of luck in the, in the spaces that I have done RFPs where it's like, okay, you know, I, I, Basically, I've always felt like I've made the right decision at the end of the day. Yeah, It's almost um, like a scope of work. I think probably what you do is more like a detailed scope of work of the project and everything. I'm just trying to think of like, when I think of RPs, I think of like massive government contracts and, you know, like, hey, this goes out for bid type of thing. That's what I think of. But um, I would imagine yours is probably more of a detailed rating system and, and, and bringing in like, look, we're looking for this, 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 and this. It must be this point, this point, and this point. exactly it's like it's that but then plus i I added like you know are you how are you financially stable are you dealing with you know lawsuits Mm. or are your customers happy you know (laughs) how many lawsuits have you had in the last week um (laughs) (laughs) well we've had 20 lawsuits we've had this but we're the perfect provider for you from this standpoint so every now and then that does happen unfortunately like, yeah. And, and then I, I will say also when it comes to technical solutions, um, definitely kick the tires, get the POC, no matter what, go, go kick it. That's, oh, that's, for sure. For uh, sure. The, anyone that the, tells the, you the trial period, things. anyone that tells you trial period, run for the, run for the hills. No trial period. Yeah. POC. Yeah. Yes. Yes. POC. You're going to give me unlimited access for as long as I ask. And then, then I'll make the decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, outstanding, outstanding. What have I not asked you that I should have asked you? Ooh, let me think here. Um, I mean, you want to? Or what do you, you want to talk, talk about? Of- I mean, what do you want to talk about? What was your first computer? How did you get started in technology? I mean, is there anything really cool? Oh, I know what it is. Like, do you have a life outside of outside of the data center? Right. Obviously, you do. But work life balance is a, is kind of a big one for some people, right? Like, how do you how do you balance? How do you shut off when the data center can never go offline? So that is actually. Um, I've had to work on that, I must say, because when I first did on-call, I mean, I was on-call like 24-7, 365. Mm. But, you know, the, the, the calls were never, they're not, nothing ever catastrophic. It was, oh, hey, our camera is reporting the humidity is 29% in this closet. Why'd you call so, me? <laughs> why'd, you call? why'd you call me for 20 20- why do you call me for 29%? Call me for 10%. <laughs> but, so I, I, I've had to deal with that. Um, I, I, you know, Basically, you know, I, going back to, you know, and I mentioned my father earlier being an, a high powered leader. One, you know, you learn positive lessons and negative lessons from your parents. One of the, <laughs> I'm going to say the negative, one of the negative lessons is, you know, in his trade, he, I, I growing up, I used to see him, you know, he'd go into the office at 2 a.m. and come back at 6 p.m. Yeah. And then, you know, go to sleep and do it all over again. And it's like, I, I bet I would never do that. Mm. And to this day, I, I, you know, occasionally, okay, maybe I need to do a little something, maybe an hour past my normal work, but I turn it off. I go, nope. You know, it, 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 if there's, if there's a catastrophic thing, you'll call me. Uh, and then I've got a fantastic group of people that run the on call. They know what to do. They get it done. So, yeah, yeah. um, so yes, I, yes. I'm very good at turning it off. Today, guys, but, uh, we're pre- we're pretending that I died, and what would happen? That's the <laughs> that's the role playing that we're doing as I leave. <laughs> Anyways, ex- ex- what would you exactly, do? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, but yes, I, I do have a life outside of work. You know, obviously, I've got my 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 uh, my son now, a uh, little Everett, ten weeks old. So awesome. That, yes, when I. When I go home, it's, yeah, it's caring for him, making sure, you know, he gets everything he needs. Um, I am an avid cook and baker. I, I, Mm. you know, um, my wife, 
Doesn't do any of that. I I am head chef 365 mm. days a year. Mm. Um, what I'm are we in, baking? What are we I, baking tonight? What's what's your always, number? What's the thing that everyone always asks for? So my wife's a baker. When I first got married, um, my wife was not the cook and was not the baker. I was the cook and and the baker. I, I mean, it really was. Like, I was good. Now I'm bad. I've gotten bad over the years and she's gotten really, really good. But there's always this one thing. There's like one or two things that people will ask you to make. They're like, will you please make that? I need to know what that is from you. So the, the thing that people always ask me to make, so um, my family is all pretty much from the Midwest, so a great steak. That <laughs> is what I get, I get asked for. And then far as baking, um, really uh, proper chocolate, chocolatey things, because my wife is a chocoholic. So mm. if I can make, you know, a French silk pie or chocolate muffins or anything like that, she loves it. Or good mousses, that's, that's my thing. French um, silk I, pie. Mm. Sounds French good. silk pie. It, mm. it, it is delicious. Um, and then, you know, beyond <laughs> that, I love the camp. I would, I mean, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I, you know, boy, I was in Boy Scouts for now. It's all making years. sense. It's all making sense now. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Yep. Next time I was a Navy so, SEAL. Uh, Next time I was a Navy SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do anything like that. But I, I love to get out and camp and, you know, just enjoy the outdoors. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm also, I'm an avid photographer. I, uh, my, my latest, my latest setup is a, a Nikon D850 with a 70 to 200 millimeter, the F 2.8 lens, which that's pro grade. It's, it's a $6,000 setup. Mm. Let's be mm. real. It's, it's, mm. it's true pro grade, but I love mm. taking pictures. I got, I got about six plus thousand pictures in my portfolio from, you know, I, I've done weddings. I've done engagement parties. Uh, I've been to, you know, Japan, Germany, London, mm. Canada. I've got, I've got awesome mm. pictures from around the world. Mm. And then, you know, if I do something a little bit at home, um, I, I love hacker boxes they, that, that little, you get a little kid each month and you build things with Arduinos and pies and mm. I solder. I love the solder. I love going to, I, I, that's, it, um, conferences, DEF CON, go to the hardware hacking village and just play with solder <laughs> and building. I love it so much. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's a good way to focus your mind, surprisingly, <laughs> you know? Just get in there and and encode it. You, you, it blink, lights blinking. It's it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, see, we don't we don't need to just play video games all the time. That was good. That was good. I I, I was an avid gamer as a kid. Nowadays, it's just trying to find the time to sit down. Nah, I mean, it's a waste of time when you get uh, older. When you have a family and things like that, the soldering, the yeah. stuff like you just said, all of that would be great things to do with your kids. I have a lot of kids so that yeah there's, there's no time for gaming anymore but. i know it's yeah if i if i do it's like between four and five a.m on a saturday because i get up before everybody else i, I would feel I go, guilty yeah, play game for an hour. i feel guilty but every now and then i'm drawn in you know like oh look there's an old mini nes with 200 games all programmed programmed onto it and it fits oh. in your hand <laughs> yep. oh, yeah, stupid yeah. old stuff. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Uh, for everyone out there listening, um, I rarely, I always, always, always forget to do this. Please go to iTunes and rate us. Give us real ratings. Don't just do a star thing. Like type something in. Tell us if you like the show. If it's beneficial and it's helpful and you like it. Um, Ryan, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. No, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate the invite. It was just a blast to talk to you about just what I've been up to, you know, data centers and all the fun things that I do. It's It's been great. Awesome.